In 4692, during the summer without rain, Grand Prince Stavian III invited eight of the most prominent noble families in Taldor to summer with his family in their northern estate, the Palace of Birdsong, overseen by the noble House Lothied. The children of these noble families and the young Prince Carius and Princess Eutropia bonded during this magical summer. At the end of their time together, six of these young nobles pledged their friendship to one another and to their princess, Eutropia. They swore to remain the closest of friends and to aid each other if ever they were in need. But promises made in youth are often forgotten. 25 years have passed since that magical summer. Taldor suffers, Prince Carius is dead, and Princess Eutropia struggles to aid her nation under the reign of her increasingly paranoid father. Now, more than ever, she needs people she can trust. Can her childhood friends band together once more to shape a new destiny for Taldor and keep the nation from being torn asunder in a war for the crown? Path folk to the Find the Path Ventures actual play of the War for the Crown Adventure Path. It's a, a new, new one. adventure! A new and exciting adventure. A whole new world. Well, it's actually the same world, it's just a different I mean, it is, part it of it is the, the same world, different, different country. <laughs> different different country. We're just a little bit further north. And it's a little bit fancier. A little, little bit, little Less tiny sand, bit. Less sand, more snow. Right? Mm. Maybe? So for <laughs> all of those of you returning to us from our Mummy's Mask adventure, uh, welcome back. For all of those of you joining us for the first time, I am Rick Sandage. I am the host and game master for the Find the Path Ventures. At the very least, this story, as well as our Hell's Rebels and Tyrant's Grasp, uh, as well as Mummy's Mask. If you choose to go back and listen to that, it's really good. Tyrant's Grasp, available on our Patreon. I am joined by uh, this wonderful collection, some of the greatest role players in all of tabletop gaming. Ah, I suppose Jesus. I'll... <laughs> Wow. Oh, stop. Yeah. We're getting the flattery sure. early. Yeah. Okay. He's about to do something ungodly to us. <laughs> Give it time. I'll start here on my uh, my virtual left. Uh, <laughs> Jess, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yes. Uh, I'm Jessica Jenkins. I also play this game. <laughs> <laughs> and I am playing Baroness Verity Augusta Corsina. I'm Jordan Jenkins, married to Jessica, and I'm going to be playing Baron Cornelius Mariset. Thanks for avoiding that uh, confusion where you said no relation the first time, and I think people just thought you guys had the same last name, but no <laughs> relation. <laughs> uh, I am Heather Allen, and for War for the Crown, I will be playing Viscountess Gwenweaver Sigurn Kastner. A.K. Gwen, because Gwenweaver is somewhat difficult to say. Only her friends get to call her Gwen. You're going to have to use Gwenweaver a lot. Okay? It's a good so thing we're all friends. <laughs> get used to all the other nobles mispronouncing your name. It's also <laughs> spelled like Welsh. <laughs> spelled like Welsh. Okay. Yes. Welsh. All right. You know how Welsh is. I am Rachel Sandage, also no relation. I'm married to said game master. <laughs> <laughs> No relation 
Christian except marriage, I suppose. Except for, <laughs> marriage is fine. And I am playing uh, the Countess Felix Averell Evangeline Zespire. Ah, so many names. I know. It's great. <laughs> and uh, my name is Ross Scoggin, uh, also no relation. <laughs> and uh, I will... Yes, literally no relation to anyone here yeah, uh, other than friends. But I will be playing Count Oliver Darhan. Yeah, so this is uh, this is the Find the Path crew. All five players, and plus myself, all six of us. I clawed my way in, and they're going to have to make me claw my way out. <laughs> so this is an actual play of the War for the Crown Adventure Path, following this this grand story, this epic story uh, taking place in the the nation of Taldor. Uh, this is an actual play. It is, of course, completely unscripted. We roll dice, and then we live with whatever the consequences of those are. Or die. Uh, some of them don't live. As of yet, I don't think we've had an adventure path that everyone's gotten through. Mm. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> hey, you know what? If ever we could do it, a bunch of fancy nobles can do it. That's, That's how that, that works. That is fair. We're, we're great adventurers. We've lived lives of privilege and ease. That makes us great adventurers. And maybe you've lived a life of ease. Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, we'll get into our backstories. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I suppose we should go ahead and get things started then. Our story takes place in the grand nation of Taldor. For Taldor. When the cataclysmic meteor strike known as Earthfall destroyed the magical nation of Aslant 10,000 years ago, the survivors of that great land fled east and settled in a number of warring city-states that would one day become the nation of Taldor. These cities were eventually united under a single banner by Taldarus, the legendary founder of the empire that still bears his name today. And over the last 6,000 years, the nation grew and prospered. Once, the Grand Empire of Taldor stretched from the World's Edge Mountains to the east, to the Arcadian Ocean in the west, and to the north as far as the Path River in the shadow of the Hungry Mountains. Once, its valiant knights battled against the evils of Galarian, even forming the Shining Crusade that fought against and eventually defeated and bound the Lich King Tarbafon. Once, Taldor was the seat of learning, philosophy, and art in the inner sea. And that time has passed. Over the last 800 years, Taldor has declined. War with its ancient rival Kadira has weakened it. Many of its provinces, such as Galt, Andoran, Isgur, Malthun, Chiliax, Nirmathis, and Laswall have declared their independence from the once great empire. In the heartland that still calls itself Taldor, its infrastructure, roads, canals, and aqueducts that were once the envy of the world have fallen into disrepair. The nation's vast and complex bureaucracy has become corrupt, its nobles decadent, its leaders cruel, and its common people downtrodden and resentful. In short, Taldor is dying. The ruling Grand Prince Stavian III, who once showed the potential to slow Taldor's decline has fallen victim to his own growing delusions of paranoia and madness. His son and heir, Carius II, a beacon of hope for his nation, died in a tragic accident 20 years ago. The Grand Prince's sole remaining child, Princess Eutropia, is barred from the throne by Taldor's strict gender roles. Taldor stands on the precipice and it is now up to five sons and daughters of the land to rise up and save their nation, perhaps even from itself. And that is where the War for the Crown begins. All of you 
are these said sons and daughters of Taldor? For Taldor. For Taldor. For Taldor. For these five heroes, <laughs> five soon-to-be heroes, are currently just amongst the, the cast of the nobles. Nobles who, in fact, actually have that rarest of thing, nobility, in the figurative sense. All of our five heroes, once childhood friends, had a, a magical summer together with the, uh, the young princess and prince. Decades now have passed since that time, each of them going their own disparate ways. And as we begin, fate, and by fate I mean the political machinations of Taldor, have conspired to bring them back together again. <laughs> we begin in one of Taldor's easternmost provinces, far to the southeast bordering with Kadira, in the province of White March. White March is a beautiful land, mountainy, filled with ravines, this stark, primal beauty. Here on this land stand the defenders of Southern Taldor, this land being the domain of the Darahan. Along the southern Jalrun River, overlooking it are the large white cliffs of the mountains. Perched here on one of the various peaks, commonly referred to as Pegasus Peak, stands a large manor house overlooking the river, an extraordinarily defensive position. Manor house isn't even necessarily, necessarily the correct term, more of a keep, a fortress built into the pass here, overlooking the lands for miles out from its high vantage. Within, we find a beautifully appointed sitting room. Dark wood, obscured only by a large blue and silver rug, a massive mahogany desk occupies the far end of this chamber before a wide set of bay windows that overlook the castle grounds without. Trophies line the walls left and right of beasts both magical and mundane, and a large fireplace burns off towards the side, as even though it is only in the middle of the year now, technically what would be summer, here in the high passes of White March, it's always more than a little chilly. Above that fireplace hangs Above the mantle of that fireplace hangs a large shield emblazoned with the crest of House Darhan, a Medusa head over a twin pair of hammers. A man stands at this window, looking down over a large group of family soldiers wearing the colors of House Darhan, training in the grounds below. Ross, would you care to describe this individual? Absolutely. Oliver Darhan is a man of above average height in his... You guess late 30s, who's kept in fairly good shape over the years. He has uh, dark brown hair that's starting to see strands of silver and gray scattered throughout. His hair is kept on the short side, but he does have a well-groomed, fairly well-trimmed beard. His gray eyes compare fairly well with his pale skin, as he seems to almost see through the viewer, as if he's considering something far away. For the most part, he wears dark clothing. For now, he would probably be dressed in a long cloak, black, as well as dark gray, and inlaid with some amethyst decoration here and there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. I was going to say, that's the weird part about this, is all of us playing characters that are as old, Our if not age. older than us. <laughs> a, rare, a rare surprise for the actual play field, where uh, where everyone's going to be playing Real characters adults. that are that are full-on full 30-something-year-old adults. Yeah. <laughs> Humans. Oliver, you watch... The, uh, the men and women, the soldiers train below, 
train as they often do, train as you have trained them yourself over the years, listening to the, the muffled shouts of the instructors. Although even though you can't truly hear it, you have been part of the military long enough that you can even through the muffled sound of the uh, the voices coming up from the courtyard below, know exactly the words being spoken as these instructors have drilled these same words into people's heads every single time. Currently in the process of training them to, to work together as a single unit, to form a wall, bespeaking the, the words of your house. We are the wall. You contemplate these young soldiers before there's a sharp triple rap on your door and the door opens. A young woman enters, dark complected with brown eyes and a mane of black hair. Uh, what one would maybe even consider wind kissed, judging by the fact that she's either been out practicing as far as uh, training with the soldiers herself or out riding, which is her other pastime. Your daughter inclines her head as she steps into the room. Salma, what brings you here today? You have a letter. Oh, uh, thank you. She makes her way forward. The writers seem pretty exhausted, so it looks like it's important news. She steps back, although does that thing where she hovers near the door, obviously interested in any word from the outside world, as isolated as you are up here in the mountain passes. Hmm. Oliver will wave her to come a little closer. It's probably nothing much of any interest, but you're welcome to stay and see what it is if you'd like. She gives a faint smile, sidles up next to you. Hmm. As you pick up the letter, you can tell that the parchment is expensive. Turning this over, you see on the back of it, red wax. Stamped on it, not with a house seal, but a lion's head. A very familiar looking lion's head. Like the head of a pin, a hairpin, that was given to you decades past. My, my, what have we here? For the briefest moment, the nostalgic smell of Lake Stavian comes back to you. Oliver will open the letter. You crack this open. You read this. You, the player, know what is in this, although the audience will have to wait. Mm. As you look over this, this rather shocking request. Oliver fishes into the pocket of the breast of his coat and retrieves the pin. You pull out a, a long, golden, literally golden, hairpin, somewhat tarnished now with time, bearing on it the head of a lion. Salma, it appears I'm needed in the capital. The capital? That's what it says, yes. Now? It seems to be as soon as possible. It will take me some time to get there. I'll contact the Seneschal. He can prepare your horse. If you ride for pole, you should be able to take a ship to Apara. Why are you going? I made an oath to someone very important long ago. It seems that uh, it is time for me to pay my dues. Duty calls. Doesn't it ever. Now you stay here and... um. Be good, I suppose. That's what I'm supposed to tell you, isn't that right? She gives a somewhat wistful smile as she looks out of the window. I'll hold down the fort until you get back. <laughs> the young woman turns, makes her way out. I suppose Oliver considers the letter and the long trek ahead of him before we cut over some distance away. We have the first of our heroes already oh, on the yeah. road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, road and ship, I suppose. Road and yeah. ship, eventually. It is a long trek for a lot of you to get to the yeah. capital. Taldor's a big country. It is indeed. Elsewhere, far away to the north from White March, is the vast province of Avon. Located south of the Fog Peaks, this 
massive mountain range that separates northern Taldor from the now chaotic borderline anarchic province of Galt. Former province of Galt, as far as all of you are concerned. Now nation of Galt. Begin to head chopping. <laughs> Here we find a bleak home. One part manor house, one part judging by the large, large spire that stretches off the back portion of this estate. One part magical key. At the top of that tallest tower is a dimly lit circular chamber. Books line the surrounding walls, which almost seem to sag under the weight. The room is, again, dim, and there's a certain moistness to this place. As much as that makes people immediately uncomfortable. Yep, you can see my face. Yikes. You can just say damp. Damp is a good word. Or even dank. <laughs> dank it could be dank too. It's dank, it's just full of weed. <laughs> the entirety of this place has a, a gloom that is both caused by the lack of light as well as this oppressive moisture here, as the fog peaks are accurately named. The curtains of this room are wide open to allow in as much natural light as possible. However, the windows only reveal the foggy, bleak hills that surround this place in every direction, as far as the eyes can see. These desolate moors. A single man sits at a large table, covered in arcane tomes, and a variety of different and curious implements lay about the table. Mirrors and beakers and collections of various different piles of sulfur and your various uh, iron rods and glass rods set off towards one side. A, uh, a wide collection covering the far end of the desk of each cordoned into their own small piles of insect parts necessary for the arcane magic practiced here. A man leans over these tomes, seemingly half-heartedly reading them. Jordan, would you care to describe this, uh, I kept wanting to say wizened figure, but wise figure. <laughs> I'm not that old. Wizened old man. We will offend so many fans if we're like, this 40-year-old man is wizened. <laughs> I'm feeling wizened. Kills, offend me, I'm nearly 40. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but uh, Cornelius is a man that exemplifies his family, which is known for their sallow skin and weak chin. Uh, his skin is pale also because it's always foggy, and so he doesn't get a lot of sun. Needs that vitamin D. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, he's de definitely taking supplements, you know, magical supplements of some sort. <laughs> magical vitamin D pills that are shipped to him via magic. <laughs> yes. An imp shows up every once in a while, just drops a pile of pills on your desk. And tell hey, them what you know, <laughs> <laughs> Man, I really want so like an imp familiar, like, really bad. Um, oh, my God. But um, Cornelius uh, has red hair that's very curly, lots of volume, which I'm very jealous of, that he has <laughs> cut down to uh, his chin bone. Probably lots of volume caused by the sheer humidity up here. <laughs> I mean, you know, he doesn't need products. That's fair. It's a whole thing. At least you don't have to moisturize. Definitely sure. does never has to moisturize. He probably has to de-moisturize. De I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> he wears a beard uh, that's a little bit more from like the dark red to more of a brown red to hide the chin so it doesn't look like he has kind of the, the weak chin of the his aristocratic family. chin. Yeah, the, the aristocratic chin, as some might call it. His eyes are a light blue, maybe a couple shades darker than sky blue. And he wears not the robes of a wizard, but a well-cut suit of the gentleman, having a you know white shirt, a light lilac purple 
vest and a black jacket, black pants, shoes. I bet the jacket probably over the back of his chair right now. Since yeah, he's I mean, right now, right now wizarding. he's probably just the vest. Yes. Cornelius, you attempt to read over this document uh, for what you think is maybe the 15th time. It's basically you read a paragraph and then move on to the next paragraph. And you're like, I wasn't paying attention. I didn't actually read that last paragraph. And then you go to read it again. You get to the end of it. You're like, nope, nope, I didn't do it again. <laughs> We've all been there with something you're not he's that doing interested that thing, in. Like uh, I used to do when I took tests that were hard where like he's put his like hand on on his forehead and like there's like little like hairs just kind of like being pushed around and falling out onto the document because he's like, <laughs> oh, this uh, is so like, uh After a moment, you hear a cough. Judging by the volume of this, <clears throat> behind you. You can tell that whomever was there has probably been trying to get your attention for some minutes. <laughs> Cornelius will will turn uh, and regard the man. Your steward stands nearby. In this case, a, a truly wizened old man. Uh, in fact, he's been your was in your family as long as you've been alive, and you don't remember him ever looking any younger than he does now. <laughs> that being said, you can only describe him as being straight-laced in every sense of the word. The man inclines his head properly towards you. Lord Merced. Yes, what is it? I apologize for the intrusion. He steps forward, uh, actually carrying a small silver platter with a letter <laughs> on it. Wow. So fancy. I'm about to get used to how fancy this all is. You're fancy. We're all fancy here. I know, I know. It's, it's weird. So Cornelius will reach out, grab the letter. You take the letter. Much as, uh, unbeknownst to you, literally a thousand miles away, <laughs> quite quite close to a thousand miles, I think it's close to about 700 miles away, Oliver did, immediately curious but recognizing this stamped seal. Again, not as a house seal, and not as a seal that you've ever seen, although you can only imagine one individual that this was sent from. Cornelius will glance at the seal, glance over at his spell book and the bookmark that he has with this little pin put into the bookmark. Cracking it open, you immediately recognize the handwriting as belonging to your old friend. Hmm, curious. Prepare the carriage. I need to make my way to my Uncle Abraxas to use the teleportation circle. I'm needed in Opara. Of course, my lord. Should we expect your return shortly? No, I think I might be there sometime. Of course. I am certain we will manage. Cornelius... You know, takes, starts <laughs> taking like happy. his spell book. <laughs> yeah, he starts, takes his spell book, starts like scooping some of the uh, the spell components into like a pouch. Turns, makes his way to the door, stumbles, looks down at a little Yorkshire Terrier. Um, it's the Yorkshire Terrier, but they don't have Yorkshire Terrier, so it's a Fog Peak Terrier. <laughs> <laughs> Trip, the famed Fog Peak Terrier. Mm. Trip, there you are again. <sighs> <laughs> it's a good thing you're cute. He like reaches down, scoops up, <laughs> scoops up, he's got his bag spell book, and then he scoops this dog up. Time's for you to go in your kennel. <laughs> Just marches <laughs> off. <laughs> I'll return for you in one to two years. <laughs> Am I channeling real life? Absolutely. I have two little dogs. You pick it up, it starts flailing and wiggling everywhere. <laughs> trip short for Tripolina, if anybody is curious. Oh my god. <laughs> I thought so Trip cute. was short for the action of tripping you that it does. <laughs> That's where it started, and then I found, I discovered Tripolina as a name and decided we're gonna it's gonna be a two. Interesting. 
Well, Twofer. there you go. For for anyone listening that wants a good child name, I guess Tripolina. <laughs> I'm no judge of good children's names. If you want your child to hate you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> then you just shorten it to Lena, and it's fine. Okay. Well, then you have two children. Okay. The first child is Una, the second child is Secundus, and the third one is Tripolina. There you so go. you want all of your children to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, go home. <laughs> Cornelius, you set off, and we pan away again. This time, we make our way to the heartland of Taldor, in the actual district of Oparos, where the capital of Opara itself is, to a fine estate off of the river Porthmos. Here we find the sun sets in the distance, a beautifully appointed drawing room. The light of the sunset coming through these large, large bay windows, flooding this perfectly appointed chamber. Dark floors, the dark surrounding wooden walls with fine furniture, plush, uh, although seemingly new and very little used. A large easel stands facing the open bay windows. And upon that is a landscape in the process of being created. A woman stands here contemplating the work as if comparing the oranges and red shades on her painter's palette to the light playing in through the window. Heather, would you care to describe Gwyn Hafar? Gwyn Hafar is a fairly tall woman uh, with a slight build. Um, she has long blonde hair that she usually wears up in a very fancy bun uh, with braids and curls. Um, her eyes are blue and she has fairly pale skin. Um, she's fond of wearing uh, red lipsticks and golden eyeshadows. Uh, being at home right now and working on a painting, she's probably just wearing what she would consider a simple dress that a commoner would still think is super fancy. Probably <laughs> done in uh, reds, uh, various, you know, silks and soft fabrics. I like that it went from simple dress to silk red dress. Yeah. <laughs> simple. It's that simple and clean. Simple for a noble. Simple and patterned. FYI, if we ever say simple, just assume it's like, you know, a $1,000 dress. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, pay $500 for a t-shirt, right? They have yeah. holes in them. Okay, it's just like a simple cut dress, but of course the fabric is super fancy. That's fair. Um, and she would be wearing a uh, holy symbol of uh, Regathiel around her neck. What is Regathiel's holy like? symbol? Regathiel's holy symbol is a wing with a sword. Hmm. Yeah. Like a sword with a wing like coming off of it? Like it's the wing and then the sword kind of comes. It's like a bastard sword coming down and then the wing is kind one wing is kind of off behind it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. And Gwen does have a, a fairly prominent scar across the front of her neck. Gwen, you look over the landscape that you're working on. Do you have any craft painting? Yes. Having finally begun to, uh, to get the color palette looking quite right, it has been a, a long process of practicing on this landscape, especially considering that uh, uh, if you want an actual thing to base it off of, the weather has to be correct and you can only really paint for about 30 minutes a day mm -hmm. as you watch the sunset outside of your window. This is, of course, another of the nearly 100 hobbies that you've taken up to occupy your time, isolated such as you are in your manner here. Yep. The door at the far side of the room opens, the soft click of it giving it away as you turn and look back. This door, like many of the doors in this house, considering that uh, not only is Annalise both head of the household here, but also a true friend, uh, having two door handles, uh, one set at a comfortable waist high for human and one set at a comfortable waist high for halfling, because it's kind of rude to make all the halflings reach over their head to turn a doorknob. Yeah, that yeah. is rude. Annalise steps in 
gives you a, a smile and nod, steps over, takes a look over the, uh, the portrait. Again, you can see an approving look. She doesn't usually have to communicate uh, verbally when she, uh, she likes something, or she'll sometimes give you that look of, this needs a little bit more time or work. Dinner's nearly ready. Thank you. You have a letter that's come for you. From one of my brothers, or maybe Cinefrith. No, there wasn't a name on there, but the, the writer said it was, was urgent. She produces the letter, hands it up towards you. Again, same flowing script, the same seal on the back of it, of which you immediately recognize. Gwen unconsciously reaches up towards one of the pins in her hair, glancing over the seal on the back of this letter before opening it. You crack this open. Read its contents. Read its request. Annalise, I'll need to leave for the capital first thing in the morning. She pauses for a second, her brow furrows before simply nods. Does this have to do with your brother, the senator? No, no, though it, though it is quite likely I'll run into him there. I'll inform the staff. Thank you. And be careful. I'll do my best. She nods, excuses her out, herself out. So I imagine you kind of turn, look back over the, uh, the landscape, the beautiful scene outside as the sun has now dipped below the horizon and you have lost your golden hour. Eh, I got more important things to do now. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that, a letter with purpose in it. She picks up the portrait. She throws it in the fireplace. No, I I mean, not that, like, not that dramatic, I guess. You prepare yourself as we cut away, heading to the north and west now. Here in a, a darkened nighttime swamp, we find... A, a beautiful island of light, this beautiful manor house, perched at the edge of the Selen River. Just at the very edge, basically, the swamplands meet the Ver- Verduran, I always want to say Viridian, mm. the Verduran <laughs> Forest. The Viridian Forest is in Pokemon, and you find Pikachus mm. there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there are no Pikachus here. <laughs> Don't sue us, Nintendo. Oh, the Verduran Forest uh, here at the northern portion of the Tandak province. Here inside of this large manor house is a massive office. The walls here are covered in books, many of them also containing large folios filled with papers. A large table itself, a five foot by five foot square, is covered with papers over the entirety of the desk. An empty teapot sits at the edge of the table on a silver platter. A large hound is curled up underneath the table. This black and tan hound, which watches with some disinterest, uh, drooping eyes staring up towards the pair of legs that keep maneuvering their way around the outside of the table, looking over the various parchments. A window nearby showing nothing but the dark night outside. The buzz of nocturnal swamp insects, creating this constant, almost imperceptible drone. A woman looks over this large table covered in tax documents. Jessica, would you care to describe this character? Of course. Um, I'm waiting for someone to tell me no. <laughs> no, I won't. It's a I have the character not to be described. <laughs> I'm indescribable. It's an indescribable horror. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, Verity is a fairly tall woman, probably in her late 30s. She has dark brown hair that's like many nobles pulled back into some sort of elaborate coif. Her eyes are a bluish gray, and her features are, they have kind of that aristocratic delicateness to them. Um, but she has, you know, the sharp cheekbones, 
uh, the full lip, uh, but also a very like aquiline nose, a very uh, Roman nose. Currently, she's wearing a a white dress shirt with a jabot. Jabot. It's like a really rough kind of an thing ascot sort of neck. thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of like an ascot, but it's like ruffles. Her jacket, which is a very fancy. Uh, brocade fabric that's like a deep blue with even deeper blue kind of floral patterns uh, is embroidered with gold thread and is kind of slung over a chair. Um, her shirt sleeves are rolled up and she's been standing here forever for a long time. She has kind of darker circles under her eyes. It's almost like there's a puzzle that can't be solved and she wants to solve it before she can rest. Verity, as you look over these documents, the door opens. You don't even need to turn to recognize the soft click-click sound of your major domo's shoes as he enters into the room, makes his way forward, collects the tray with the empty teapot, slides on a tray with a full teapot, as obviously you've been at this for some hours by this point. <laughs> yeah, Verity just kind of sighs and sits down the paper that she was messing with and looks over at him. Any luck, Lady Corsina? No. Unfortunately, whoever's behind this, whoever's been making the allocated funds that are supposed to be used to repair Tandak Province's failing infrastructure disappear, is quite good at paperwork. I see. Yes. That's unfortunate. Well, it's only been a few years. We'll find them. Everyone makes mistakes. Yes, ma'am. The man steps back. As you turn to grab your cup of tea, you notice that there's a letter laying on the silver platter next to the teacup. Hmm. I guess I'll pick that up. It has just arrived. No doubt delayed by Tendak's failing infrastructure. <laughs> oh, God. Hooray. Honestly. <laughs> really punching home the infrastructure real bad in this province. Every week is infrastructure We're week outside in town. Of what, what is Tendak province okay. known for? Failing infrastructure. Collapsing bridges. <laughs> if only we maintained our roads or our canals or... <laughs> Of or, the things that would make I, I love it when it's an or proposition. <laughs> Any of them, honestly. Take your mm. pick. Um, you all one. right, very well. Let's hope it's not too late. I guess I'll flip it over. Again, same stamp that you uh, that your compatriots had recognized, this pin mark. Again, strange, considering that most people would usually stamp the seal on a letter with their signet ring and not with a, a pin head. Mm. Opening it, you read it, uh, a similar letter to what your friends have received. Very well. Uh, Herschel? Reach out to our holdings in Casimir. I need to be on the next ship to Oparo. Oparo. To Opara. <laughs> of course, ma'am. And have Germain handle affairs until I return. Of course. I will make certain we will have the carriage ready for you at first light, ma'am. Perfect. I'll kind of scoop all of my papers into some sort of stack and shove them into my briefcase. Shove. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and dig around in a drawer on this desk for that same lion hairpin and uh, stick that in my pocket. You pull out another uh, golden hairpin, take this, slide it away. That brings us to the fifth and final of our heroes. We're not heroes yet. Not heroes yet. <laughs> of our strangers. Fancy pants nobles. <laughs> of our Fancy childhood lads. friends. Mm. Some distance away, although not actually too far, as we aren't even uh, leaving the Tandak province. With its awful infrastructure. <laughs> but away from, with its awful infrastructure. Still takes a long time to get there. <laughs> so bad. Away from the swamps and forests of the northern Tandak province are the open fields and hills. Here we find at sunrise a beautiful vineyard that stretches seemingly from 
maybe a mile or two away that if you were standing in the vineyard, you could not see the end of it. A beautiful manor house sits on a hill overlooking all of the surrounding fields. Nearby from there is a large circular white gazebo at the edge of this vast vineyard. A woman sits here at this small table on a comfortable looking chair. A massive tome lays open before her, an account book judging by the lines and lines of both income as well as outgoing expenses. We're so boring. We're so into money and numbers over here. <laughs> it's almost like we have a lot of it. Four stones have been set at the corners of this book to keep the pages from blowing over in the soft wind that rolls through here and carries with it the smell of grapes. Grapes approaching the harvest season. A woman sits looking this over. And uh, Rachel, would you care to describe this woman? Felix is a rather slender figure. Uh, standing about 5'9", she has... Long auburn hair, but as Jessica said, is uh, properly coiffed and uh, pulled back, especially since, you know, she's the type of noble that will actually get her hands dirty every now and then. Uh, she tends to have a serious expression, like think RBF, but uh, um, <laughs> she's not really that way. She's actually a very optimistic individual and really wants to do everything she can for everyone. She favors whites and golds, uh, being a cleric of Abadar. Uh, so she is wearing a long white uh, vestment with golden embroidery. Uh, there is a, a chain attached to one collar that uh, reaches across to where she has a golden key uh, with a pin attached to it. And she is looking rather perturbed at the moment. <laughs> RBF. Yes. You sit here pouring over this. A, a wine glass sitting forgotten on the table next to you. A shadow passes between you and the rising sun for a moment eclipsing the the book you're looking over. As your husband, Talim, slides into the chair opposite of you, a tall man with tanned skin and a disheveled shock of curly black hair, leans over, looks over the, uh, the budget upside down, although, again, you're fairly certain that he's doing this for uh, effect, really, than as opposed to actually attempting to read the budget upside down. He looks up and gives you a smile. So, have we found a budget for your charity gala? Not even close, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry, dear, but I'm certain we'll find something somewhere. Well, Abadar usually provides, but uh, he's taking his time. Uh, well, uh, he reaches into his vest pocket, fishes around for a couple of seconds, produces a letter, lays it down on the top of the book. This just came in. I didn't recognize the seal. Perhaps it's one of the uh, donors willing to uh, to aid us in this. Good news, maybe. I have not seen that in some time. Uh, Felix immediately opens the letter and breathes a sigh of relief. <laughs> Good news, then. Um, it's a bit too early to tell, but I think so. Unfortunately, it does mean I need to leave uh, immediately. He arches his eyebrows, glances back. This close to harvest time. Yes, I think this may be the opportunity that I have been looking for. I think this is my chance to do some real good for Taldor. I, I have to do this. He straightens his brow, nods, stands up, leans down, kisses you. Well, go and save the world then. Felix uh, 
gingerly touches the lion-headed pin that she keeps attached to her symbol of Abadar and goes and prepares to leave. <laughs> the stage is set. The players are gathered, as it were. And now we begin in earnest. This is all prelude. <laughs> now to the lewd. Now to the lewd, in fact. <laughs> well, you know, this was the naked sounds, episode. Yeah, that sounds so bad. Lewd. <laughs> L-U-D-E. Yes. Which is play, right? I'll be I honest, so. I don't know. I do not know. However, now I will no longer leave the audience uh, in suspense. Each of you had opened your individual letters to read the following. My dearest friend, I hope this letter finds you well and that you'll forgive me for its abruptness. As you have no doubt heard, the Senate is poised to vote on an amendment to permagenture, allowing women to directly inherit and paving the way for Princess Eutropia to ascend to the throne of Taldor. This is the culmination of years of hard work and will shape our nation for centuries to come. While I firmly believe that the votes are there, I prefer to leave nothing to chance, hence why I am writing this letter. Too many years have now passed since last I saw you. The world today is not as simple as it seemed during that long summer, what seems like ages ago. We stand now at the brink, and with your aid, I think that we can do real good, make a real change for this nation we love. If you feel the same, meet me at the Lazy Lion Cafe in Opara at 5 p.m. on the 24th of Eridus. I have reserved the Blue Room. I know that I am asking a lot of you. I'm asking you to leave your home and family, to travel all the way to the capital, but know that both I and the princess would be eternally grateful. Your friend and confidant, Lady Martella Lothide. Who is this mysterious woman? We We're know getting her. the band back together. <laughs> I think the last time we all saw each other was at a funeral. It right? was like 20 yeah. years. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's been like 20 <laughs> years. So now we begin in earnest. The five of you have traveled from your various homes across all of Taldor. For some of you, this has been a short trip. For some of you, this has been a very long trip. Points for magic. <laughs> After journeying for some time, you eventually make your way from your various estates to the nation's capital of Opara. Our adventure begins in the heart of the Taldine Empire on the 24th of Eridus, 4718. Opara is commonly known as the Gilded City and is the largest city in all of Taldor and one of the largest cities in the Inner Sea. Opara has existed here in one form or another for over 6,000 years and as such combines the architectural styles of every iteration of that time period into one not quite homogenous mass. Most people that think of Opara think of the grandest structures they think of the shining monuments to the grandeur and majesty, once common to the entirety of the Taldane Empire. The city is seated on the black cliffs of the river Porthmos in the Oparus Prefecture, bearing all the gravitas and, ex and extravagance that 6,000 years of history confer upon it. The roofs and domes of Opara were once plated with gold, earning it the nickname of the Gilded City, although past rulers have stripped the gold away in many places. Uh, to pay for the empire's various follies. And the wealth and decadence <laughs> of Taldor's capital keep the spirit of that name alive still. A city unlike any other in the inner sea, or at the very least, everyone in Taldor will tell you that. <laughs> Most of you have entered, of course, in through the Lion's Gate, 
a particularly spectacular exhibit uh, with two 50-foot-tall, magically animated marble statues of lions topping the massive gate that roar on the hour, marking the progress of time as you make your way into the city. Well, that's way cooler than a clock tower. Do they do that at night, though? I think (laughs) think it is all the time. You just get used to the roaring. I guess yeah. so. I got you. You learn to sleep through the roars of lions. That seems like a great survival I mean, at tactic. At least it's all, every hour on the hour instead of just randomly for no flipping reason. Like, mm. true. Some other city we know. And they don't roar yeah. every hour of the hour. Like, they don't, like, for two, they roar two times. They don't do that. So we're basically just hearing the uh, the MGM intro yeah. every single hour. It's pretty cool. Opar serves as Taldor's primary trade center, with traffic coming both from Taldor's interior via the River Porthmos and from the steady stream of international vessels. It is home to Taldor's government, hosting both the Imperial Palace of the Grand Prince and the polished marble halls of the Senate. It is the economic and political hub of Taldor. It is the beating heart of the Empire and the center of Taldane culture. The Twin Harbors here provide goods to the city's thriving marketplaces and restaurants and are so crammed with ships that sometimes the river cannot be seen when it is at its busiest. Public fountains and marble statues can be found at every major crossroad and plaza in the city. Columned villas and grandiose temples from every age of Taldor's history line the city streets, and even the humblest merchant districts are holdovers from unparalleled ages of glory past. Most of Opar's buildings are made of carved stone. The roads are paved with either intricate mosaics or well-fitted cobblestones. Much of the city's advanced public works have withstood the tests of time. The Grand Bridge of the Empire is the largest bridge in the entirety of the Inner Sea. Emerging from the southeastern shore of the city's heart to cross the massive Porthmos, the most ambitious and impressive engineering marvel in the inner sea, if you ask anyone in Opara. Must be true. <laughs> you arrive, well, each of you have arrived at various times. I'm assuming that each of you are not trying to get there on the day of and probably arrived a couple of days before. Of course. The week leading up to the 24th is known as Armes, a week-long festival held each year, the celebration once dedicated to the god Eridan before his death at the beginning of the Age of Lost Omens some hundred years ago. It is still important to the faithful of Iomede, as well as is still important to the people of Taldor, who use it to train commoners in combat and basically pick squires for knights, teach military history, train proper militias. Although over the last 100 years since the death of Eridan, it has become less and less a matter of empowering the commoners, and most nobles take it more as an opportunity to just have another excuse to throw gallows. All right. Yep. All like a good gala. Mm-hmm. All of you are aware, of course, that the Armist ends on the 24th of Eridus, which is known as the Grand Day of Exaltation. Visitors flock to Opara in the days leading up to this Grand Day, mostly to see and, of course, celebrate Armist uh, in the way that the people here in the capital do which is with massive military parades, various foods, festivities, and parties that spread across the entirety of the city. In all truth and honesty, the holiday has completely lost its original meaning. Mm. The population of the city of Opara literally doubles, making Opara larger than literally any other city in the inner sea with the exception of Absalom. Wow. 
the self-importance of the already prideful Taldane people swells in equal measure <laughs> to the importance that the city gains during this time. Street vendors sell traditional Taldane foods, mostly anchovy skewers, angle bobs, canal crossing, clam guards, jubilee pies, honey flakes, long wine, yonder tarts, and more. Yonder, yonder tarts? tarts? I'm curious about yonder tarts. I really want to know what it, that is. It, it's yeah, it's clearly made of something that came from over yonder. Yeah, it came from yonder. <laughs> this includes regional delicacies from separated provinces, uh, such as the uh, Andoran mince and Chelish raven cake. Chelish hmm. raven. Wait, they're cake. importing stuff from other well, the lost. They used to provinces. be Taldor. They'll be Taldor guess, again yeah, soon. Yeah, I guess they got the recipes <laughs> and they're like, well, it's ours now. Well, and also during this time, a lot of visitors come from other uh, nations oh, to okay. enjoy the festivities and make trade and all the rest of that with the Taldate merchants. Ah, okay. Family banners and provincial flags drape the sides of every building in the city. Strings have been strung up between the various buildings on either sides of the major thoroughfares, and from these hang the blue and green banners denoting the nation of Taldor. You can see a number of uh, merchants hawking heraldry ranging from replica banners of the old armies of exploration uh, and children running around with wooden swords and handheld Taldane flags <laughs> as they fight one another in mock battles in the streets, all of them claiming to be, you know, basically doing the one-upping game mm. where it's like, look at me, I'm General Arneson, haha, and then some other kid's like, joke's on you, I'm Taldaris, and then smacks him in the head with a wooden stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, nobody is better than Taldaris, clearly. Mm. Each of you would have had your stay provided for you. Mm. So there was an additional basically like list of things as far as uh, here are the suggestions and things that you should know on your way here. Much like I provided each of you when you're buying your own starting gear. We had an itinerary. Uh, unbeknownst to all of you, you've actually all been staying in the same inn, uh, although oh. it is one of the largest inns uh, in the city of Opara. I assume it's also one of the nicest inns in all of Opara. It is, in fact, one of the nicest <laughs> inns in all of Opara. <laughs> yep. Uh, which is the inn known as the Silent Horse. Appropriate. Mm. Okay. Mm, interesting. The silent horse is the deadliest horse. <laughs> Even the tavern on the ground floor of the silent horse, which, by the way, I use the term tavern very loosely. More Think of it more of a, uh, a gentleman's club in the oh, traditional sense. It's like a hotel set. bar, but fancier. Like a super fancy hotel yeah, a, a bar. A hotel bar at a five-star mm. hotel that's like, you know, $500 a night to stay at or something Velvet, ridiculous like that. like booths and things. Yeah. Yep. Uh, throughout the rest of the city, of course, the taverns have offered uh, themed drinks. Uh, mostly dyeing them blues or greens uh, well, you know. in celebration of Taldor, uh, as well as uh, the varying bars adopting well-known nobles. Pretty much every bar adopts its own grand prince from the history of Taldor uh, mm. as basically a mascot or self-declared patron. Could you imagine mm. doing the bar crawl for all, what is it, 238 <laughs> You would be dead ones? of alcohol poisoning <laughs> before you even go, got a third of the way through. Take the smallest sip and then go to the next one. <laughs> it's a bar crawl that lasts a week. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all year. It's all week. Far too long. You might still be dead. <laughs> <laughs> As all of you have arrived, you've spent the last week here alongside all the pomp and circumstance filling Opara. Is this buzz the noteworthy moment in history that everyone here is somewhat cognizantly aware that they are now a part of? The Imperial Senate is poised to hold a historic vote to repeal, or at the very least, amend. Primogeniture. The end of a millennia-long standing law of succession is the talk of the town. Streets and taverns are abuzz with conversations, some wishing to see the law thrown down to pave the way for Princess Eutropia to ascend to her rightful place on the throne, while others 
believed the vote to be another wound in the great history of the empire, allowing not only the rabble-rousing Utropia to inherit family power, but every ill-deserving woman in the nation. Rude. Wow. Uh, which side are we going to be on, y'all? Jeez, <laughs> with that kind of introduction. Wow. Gosh, golly. Regardless of the outcome, both sides of the debate agree, and pretty much every person that you hear talk about this, that despite the serious ramification of primogeniture's potential end, the life-shaking changes that this will cause, the streets of Opara hold no signs of unrest, and everything will just continue on like it always has. Of course. I mean, to be fair, this is a this is a thing for the nobility that it's not like it's going to like rapidly change how laws are passed or the normal you know, person's life, any of that stuff. So like it might impact the nobles, but like the average commoner is still going to pay their taxes and still going to yeah. have, you know, laws and regulations and all the normal bureaucracy is just going to so keep going. It's kind of like huge debates pertaining towards estate taxes really only matter if you have an estate. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it's true. So for a vast majority of people that don't. So all that said, this adventure path will probably be over in about 10 episodes then. I assume. Yeah, it's real short. <laughs> Maybe we it's might do a short adventure, one. guys. Yeah. yeah. Short, quick adventure. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. Nothing we'll be starting uh, Iron Fang Invasion. I don't know <laughs> why they called it a war. It's just a vote. Yeah, exactly. It's a you know, metaphorical war. Yeah, okay, I see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Polite discussion over the crown doesn't have the same ring as yeah, war for the crown. That's true. <laughs> that would be a very poorly selling adventure path. <laughs> Each of you have arrived, spent some time in the town, probably enjoyed the various uh, sites here. Uh, I can only imagine that for those of you with a little bit more of a martial bent, the opportunity to go and uh, and explore around the Memorial Park or the Imperial Square uh, would, of course, be quite interesting. There's the uh, the ancient Basilica of the Last Man that you could go to, or as far as uh, Cornelius is concerned, the First Imperial Arcanist Guild uh, is located here, as well as the Rhapsodic College. That's where all the good books are. Yep, uh, I'm assuming that Gwen would probably stop by and uh, at the very least check in maybe on some of her old professors at the Kithadarian Academy. The Kith. This should be a, yeah, over at the Kith, as everyone mm-hmm. calls it, as the kids now call Keith. it these days. Yeah, now Keith. Now Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. We had to learn how to do it there, though. Yep, and that, you know, like Felix would take the opportunity uh, as a as a priestess of the uh, the god Abadar to, of course, uh, travel to the Cathedral of Coins. Mm-hmm. One of the two largest centers of faith for Abadar and all of Taldor. Yeah, you know, is it I'm, also I a mint? <laughs> I feel like it should be a mint with the Cathedral of Coins name. Cathedral of Coins just sounds cool, though. It does sound cool. <laughs> it's literally made out of coins. They built it just stack it's, after like stack the columns of coins. are just stacks of coins. <laughs> I, I just love that Abadar's like symbol is a key, a key because like I have a slight obsession with keys because I think they're mm. fantastic looking. So it's like yeah. I think we mm-hmm. probably like narrowly missed each other because I probably headed over there. I mean, I'm a lay person, but I still that's my idea. Yeah. But we had those moments where, like, if, you know, the audience would see us pass by, but we don't see each other. Yeah. Or you might have passed by and just not recognized each other. You haven't seen one another in 25 years. That's that's one. True. Yeah. Still a long time. It's been a, a long couple of decades. Time. We look very different. Has passed. Yeah. Eventually, though, Oliver, being a military man such as you are, uh, are, of course, quite punctual. Uh, <laughs> arriving early as you make your way to the Lazy Lion Cafe. And that's how I know this is a game. Ross in real life is definitely not. <laughs> Did you say the Lazy Lion Cafe? Yeah, the Lazy so Lion yeah. Cafe. I love that. I want a Lazy Lion Cafe mug. <laughs> oh, I want that Patreon too. Stretch goal. We can put it on the shop. We, we can put it on the shop. shop. We can yeah. definitely put that on the shop. We start the merch list, episode one. From the Silent Horse, you make your way through the Lionsgate District and across the Western Canal 
Once you've crossed across the bridge, itself a large, beautiful affair, again with banners of blue and green hanging between each one of the arches on the bridge. You arrive at the Lazy Lime Cafe. Emerging uh, from the carriage, bedecked in your finest, as you were informed, of course, that uh, your best clothing and finest uh, apparel and accoutrement with a somewhat of a, a lacking, you were provided with a, a list of what would be acceptable uh, for mm-hmm. this evening's festivities. As uh, I suppose you step out, I keep wanting to say, are you packing heat? But uh, are you carrying a, a weapon? <laughs> I'm carrying a single kukri. And I believe you uh, sprung for a parade armor? Yes. Uh, the I'm actually wearing the full formal attire of a member of an officer of the Talon Phalanx, um, including oh. black slacks, black boots, uh, an overcoat, a brocaded surcoat over light plate. And uh, yeah, I even have my badge of rank on me. So. Oh, fancy man. Nice. You step out. Before you stands the Lazy Lion Cafe, a four-story structure beautifully painted in blues and whites with wide windows where you can see the patrons inside. Over the door is a large full-size statue of a massive male lion. One paw drooped over the uh, the top of the the ledge, basically, that it perches above the door as it seems to have propped its head up on its other paw and sleeps softly. Mm. Definitely a male lion being, you know, the lazy of the The two lion genders. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A young woman stands at the door, and as you begin to ascend up the steps to the door, opens it for you, bows deeply, as uh, apparently they're quite used to noble patronage here at the Lazy Lion. And they take one look at his garb and go, yep, that's a noble. (laughs) He got You're literally money. wearing a noble's outfit, so yes. <laughs> You're wearing a noble's outfit, you know, under with with the noble's outfit, I guess, like styled like your fancy armor, so. I guess Oliver nods an acknowledgement and then continues inside. Very well. You step inside. Once you enter, you can see that there's a large common room area here and a set of steps that ascends its way into the uh, the upper floors off towards your right-hand side. Long golden be- beams of the setting sun dance through the cafe's smoking interior. As you can see, a number of gentlemen pipes firmly clamped in their teeth as they seem to carry on conversations back and forth about hunting excursions or the day's activities or whatever rumors and such. Uh, off towards one side, you can see a small group of, uh, of young nobles uh, seemingly debating with one another over some recent slight from another young noble. Mm. Uh, and then a common refrain back and forth is like, you should duel him. I am going to duel him. I'll duel him to the death sometime, maybe tomorrow. I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a big meal. I have to wait until I digest. You can't step into the dueling ring until at least 30 minutes after you've eaten. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> As you look about, you can see the uh, off towards one side, the breads, cheeses, and wine bottles behind the only counter that covers the far right-hand wall. A small podium stands just inside of the door, and behind that is a maitre d', a man tall, rail thin, with a pencil mustache that covers his upper lip, and hair slid back and slicked back. The man wears a fine jacket, form-fitted, that somehow seems to only accentuate his extraordinarily, almost uncomfortably thin build. He glances up towards you. Takes you in with a quick glance of someone experienced with this before bowing his head. Good afternoon, my lord. Good afternoon. I'm supposed to be here to meet somebody in the blue room. You are part of Lady Lothied's party. Party? I suppose I am, yes. Ah, if you would not mind having a seat, you are somewhat early, my lord. Might I suggest a complimentary red? Mm. 
I'd prefer rooibos tea if you have any. Ah, we do. I would be more than happy to provide it. Would you care for honey and sugar? Please. Two lumps. Of course, sir. Right this way. He escorts you off towards the side. A large chair that the moment you hit it, you sink down like six <laughs> inches into this chair. Mm, got that this. comfy chair. Mm. <laughs> got the two sides of the reaction on that from uh, from Jordan and Rachel. <laughs> I'm never getting out of this chair again, however. <laughs> it, it is the, the type that you, you sink into and need a hand up to get out yes. of. Yes, which I hate because it reminds me of Jessica's uh, uh, area where we were getting ready for your wedding and we were like sitting down and it was like, oh, this went a little farther than we oh, thought. Oh yeah, it was very, very uh, plush, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> You have a couple of moments to sit. Uh, again, they provide you with the uh, the complimentary tea as they bring that out, as well as crumpets for you as well. Mm. Tea and crumpets. <laughs> yep. A young man off towards the side uh, softly plays the violin to accompany the conversation, although you appear to be the only person here listening to it, as everyone else is engaged in their own conversations, nattering and chattering back and forth. As you sit, you can hear, probably not intentionally meaning to overhear, an older gentleman leaning in to his companion. Did you hear tell that the Emperor is going to be exalting another one of his orphan bodyguards this year? Like he did for the Baron Venmark. The other man coughs, hard enough that his uh, his walrus mustache kind of balloons out. The last thing we need is another barbarian lording it over the rest of us. Uh, I've been saying for years they should send those orphans back to where they came from. Find Haldane knights. That's who should be guarding the emperor, not these mercenaries. The other man goes, mm, here, here. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird them. that you describe this and I immediately have a perfect vision of exactly like Wolfer like. Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right now. <laughs> I want to come back in. It's the two Muppets that are always up in the balcony. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Yeah, Waldorf Marley and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and Waldorf, yeah. Yeah. As you watch, Oliver, you see another carriage rolls up to the front. The driver steps down, walks around to the side, opens this up, uh, offers a hand down to help down a young woman. As Felix, you arrive at the Lazy Lion. Look over the structure as you, I uh, suppose, make your way up the, the front steps, much as Oliver did. Young's debatable. We're all middle age. Because they were all within like yeah. five years of each other. So I consider myself young. I'm <laughs> <laughs> as old as many of these characters. Making your way up, the the woman at the door glances you over. Uh, seems to ascertain. Uh, of course, again, you're also wearing a noble's outfit and like a hundred gold worth of jewelry and all the rest of that stuff. So I think you look the part. Yeah, definitely. Still got my symbol of Abadar and all. <laughs> she opens the door. Uh, what are you dressed in? Uh, I'm probably wearing like a fancier version of my cleric's vestments, but like, you know, like with a noble twist on it. <laughs> so like white and gold and... Definitely white and gold. Yes. Those are my signature colors. Dress or more of a pantsuit? Um, probably pants with like the, the long, long coat. The woman nods, opens the door for you, uh, lets you in. The man at the podium up at the front inclines his head. Good afternoon, ma'am. Good afternoon. I believe I am to be meeting the blue room. Ah, uh, Lady Lothied's party. You are the second to arrive. Unfortunately, the room is still being set up as we speak. We'll have you wait. Is there something I could get you in the interim? Uh, I am fine for the moment, but thank you. Of course, of course. But the other member waiting, can you take me to him? Allow me to escort you, my lady. Much obliged. The man nods, turns, leads you over. Oliver, I suppose you glance up as uh, as his auburn-haired uh, priestess of Abadar is led over. The man leading you gestures down towards the chair opposite of uh, of Oliver. 
Well, well. Mm. I will say, not who I expected to see. Felix, is that you? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it's been quite some time. How have you been? Uh, it has been a journey. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> oh. It's wonderful to see you. Good to see you as well. I didn't realize we were going to have a bit of a party, but um, the doorman, or, sorry, the maitre d' said that uh, apparently multiples of us were coming. Curious who else will be in attendance. I have a sinking suspicion. <laughs> Care to share? Oliver, in response, simply draws out a small pin from his jacket pocket. <laughs> I see, she says, and then taps on her holy symbol that has the pin attached to the backside. I have to wonder. It's Martella's doing, of course. If it's Martella, that uh, only adds to the theory. <laughs> so I heard you got married. I did. Uh, unexpectedly, but yes, I did. Mm. Congratulations. And you? Um, no, 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 um, nobody, really. But that's quite all right. I've had plenty to keep me busy. I understand that. But... <clears throat> so, um... Oliver, I guess, gestures at the holy symbol. A priestess, or perhaps a um, lay member of the faith? or Oh, no, priestess. Uh, uh. I had a slight diversion in my journey to being a priestess, but uh, yes, I, I found my calling within the halls of Abadar, and I do my best with what I am provided, which sometimes is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it isn't enough, but we try our best anyway. Exactly. So what are you drinking? Tea. I figured for business it's best to stick to that for now. Ah, I may join you then, because I was too, honestly, a bit rattled to, to order it first. Before you can finish the sentence, a waitress <laughs> is at your shoulder. Tea, ma'am. <laughs> well, they weren't listening in, uh, we swear. That is absolutely excellent, thank you. The two of you settle in. Uh, again, as you're as you're kind of chatting, you you know, overhearing everyone talking nearby, and uh, there's a, a pair of young ladies off towards the side talking about all the people, all the famous dignitaries that they have seen uh, over the last week or so. Before one of them leans in, it's like, you know, I'd heard High Strategos Patherius is back oh, in the capital. That oh, guy. No. Mm. The other woman nods, like, I guess that means the marriage between him and the princess is back on. The two of them <laughs> giggle. <laughs> Kind of leans in, you know, places a, a hand on her elbow. He's so handsome. He'll make a lovely emperor. No. No. We have a lot of feelings about him. The audience doesn't know him yet. <laughs> I was going to say, they, they don't know him, but we did a session zero and we know about him. Again, I suppose uh, the two of you make yourselves comfortable, you know, listening to the, uh, the banter nearby. Mm. Once again, another carriage rolls up. As it does so, it pulls to a stop. Uh, the door opens up. A, uh, a blonde-haired woman steps her way down. Uh, Heather, what exactly have you dressed in for the evening? We're going to get a lot of questions fashion, about clothing. Yes. It's, it's going to be, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of... What are you wear who are you wearing today? Who are you wearing for, <laughs> for this, this? Gwen would be wearing pretty much a, uh, like a armored dress, like a battle dress. Like, the top is going to be uh, lamellar leather that's done up to look gold. Um, just pretty much like a breastplate. The pauldrons look like wings. And then the skirt is uh, flowing uh, very nice red fabrics. Probably a nice set of heels because she's not really expecting to fight, but still wants to look kind of fancy. <laughs> she is carrying a very, very nice dagger because they won't let me take my bastard sword into this fancy party. Yeah, what are the rules to. on that again for the audience? 
So for the audience, uh, all of you were just informed that you were uh, only permitted, well, basically like ceremonial, you know, light armor can be worn inside of the uh, the Senate where you've been told that you're going to, uh, that potions, scrolls, spell component pouches, and wands are permitted inside of the Senate building. Um, however, spell casting is, of course, not permitted. Uh, that only light and one-handed uh, weapons are allowed inside of the Senate building. Uh, ranged weapon, two-handed weapons are not allowed inside the building. That uh, all weapons brought into the building must be peace-bound. They'll peace-bound them whenever you arrive. So you mm-hmm. don't need to provide your own ties for them. Animals are generally not permitted inside of the Senate building, uh, excepting familiar and service animals. Mm. The general rules for uh, for the party this evening. You need to dress as if you're going to a, a fancy soiree. You need to have a noble's outfit, is what that means. Yeah, hundred gold yes, worth of jewelry. Yes, I mean, it would be the noble's outfit and the hundred gold worth of jewelry. Her hair done up in the very fancy current style. Um, she'd be wearing her holy symbol of Regathiel. Makeup, red lipstick, blush, extenuating her very high cheekbones. But she would step out of the carriage and make her way in this building. Yeah, you step forward. The lady at the front nods, allows you entrance. The, uh, the maitre d' takes your name uh, once you mention like the blue room or that you're here to see Lady Lothied forms you much as he has uh, informed the other two that's like oh I apologize uh, still getting everything set up right this way right this way you know leads you straight over uh, takes your order if you'd like any uh, wine or tea uh, the finest red that you have please the finest of course of course we have a Lugosi red it is delicious <laughs> <laughs> that's right it's the finest it's actually blood blood. red you might say <laughs> yeah. of course the famous the famous uh, wine of the uh, the Zespire family mm-hmm. as you're no doubt aware is the finest wine in all of Taldor you're led over again to this uh, these opulent chairs where you see uh, two figures that look familiar in that like when you run into someone that you knew from high school like 20 years later mm. <laughs> could be good could be bad because <laughs> the sad thing is there's so many people in the in our audience that are like I haven't been out of high school for 20 years yeah. <laughs> 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 I can't connect with these old people you take a seat as I suppose uh, Oliver and Felix mm. you glance up to uh, the blonde woman making her way over in her resplendent clothing I think that's another tick for your theory <laughs> Guinevar is that you it is oh. uh Oliver. Right in one. Um, Felix. It's a regular reunion. Um, well, the years have been very kind to both of you. Oh, thank you. Gwen would take a seat. believe uh, you received Matilla's letter as well, then. Yes, it seems like she's uh, getting the band back together, as it were. <laughs> That's our suspicion uh, as well. Mm. I'm curious as to why, but I have a few theories as well on that. Just going to say, I... Rather hope Verity doesn't show up. I mean, last time I saw her, I nearly broke my arm. And by nearly, I mean I did. <laughs> you went to my wedding. Maybe I did almost break your arm at my wedding. <laughs> what kind of wedding are you throwing? <laughs> I fell into the pool, okay? The it's a destination wedding. The destination is the top of this cliff. Yes. <laughs> Why? Only those who can ascend will be allowed to view our glorious oh, yeah. ceremony. If I quickly descend, can I still ascend back up? Is that okay? <laughs> I have a feeling you're not going to be quite that lucky. <laughs> uh, you're probably right. I think she's on what? Uh, husband number five, mm. six, seven? Mm. Who knows? <laughs> still, and, uh, what have you been up to these years, Guinevar? Oh, not much, really. Just mostly staying around my manor. I've been keeping quiet. Fair enough. It's not always easy being a caster. Mm. 
We both fidget awkwardly because we're like, yeah, we know your family history. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm, you're not wrong. <laughs> Slowly take a sip of tea. <laughs> Kastner is not the most respected house of no. Talbor. Those Chillaxian relatives. Mm. I spent most of my time taking care of my son. Fair enough. I can relate. Mm. A carriage goes rolling by outside, not actually stopping this one. It is garnering some attention from the people inside as a couple of murmurs come through, the crest on the side of it denoting it as belonging to House Marilla. As a few people chit-chat, a couple of uh, nobles sitting nearby leans over. It's like, ah, yes, I'd heard Lady Marilla is back in town from Absalom. I wonder if she's performing for the Exaltation Gala. The other man nods, (laughs) as long as she didn't bring any of those troublesome pathfinders that she associates herself with. Opara doesn't have a lodge for the it pathfinders? Does. It oh, does. Okay. It's just, like, nobles like, don't like pathfinders. I was like, I was almost positive that they have a, uh, a lodge there. For those of you uh, not familiar with Pathfinder Society, uh, Gloriana Morilla is the uh, head of the Taldane faction. Mm-hmm. I believe she's still the head of the Sovereign Court. I believe so. She is also still a major player in a number of scenarios, so you may very well yeah. have met her in any number of them. Maybe you'll meet her here. Who, who knows? knows? <laughs> who knows? It's a real who's who's here in, who, or who's who here in Opara. Just behind that carriage, another carriage rolls up. A, uh, a third woman steps free. Stepping down, uh, Jessica, who are you wearing tonight? <laughs> I'm wearing, no. Um, I'm also wearing parade armor, though not uh, Talden specific parade armor. Uh, it's, it's more closely associated with kind of an Eastern style. And it's part of the order that I belong to, the Order of the White Rook. So it's light armor, chain shirt, but un- but above that is closer to men's clothing, like a nice suit. That same kind of stiff white shirt, a little jabot, which I learned the name of, and I'm going to use a million times now. <laughs> uh, with a nice brocade jacket that's got long kind of tails in the back, but it's all tailored for like a feminine silhouette. So lots of blues and whites, and gold, and I am actually rocking a very beautiful ceremonial katana. Hmm. Nice. I can't all right. My um, all right. Hey, it's a one-handed weapon for me. Fair enough. And I'm allowed to bring it, so I'm going to bring it. Going it's full the kind of you get here. when you like join the order and you've like earned this honor. It's like real fancy. It's not generally the type of weapon you take into war. Fair enough. Hmm. It's like decorative. Yeah. I mean, it can be used for war, but it's beautiful. You step down from the the carriage again. The the lady at the door recognizes you as obviously being nobility and allows you entrance within. Perfect. Yes, they turn away any of the. Uh, the slubs that try the to make raff. their way in. Yeah, the riffraff. Any of these lesser nobles. The maitre d' nods as you enter. As you just kind of take a quick glance around, taking in the place. He steps forward. Uh, you must be another member of Lady Lothit's party. I am. Uh, right this way, right this way. We are nearly set up. I believe we're waiting on one more guest to arrive after you. I scan the room, and when I see this group that we're walking, <laughs> that we're going to be walking toward, I'm like, ah. Verity, you are led over where you can see uh, the ruggedly, you know, handsome uh, Oliver sitting off towards the side. Gwen with her hair all done up with long golden locks and uh, bright uh, Felix mm. glancing up towards you as you approach. The, uh, the maitre d' leads you over to a seat. Uh, before he can even fully turn and leave, he just kind of snaps his fingers and one of the uh, the waiters slides over, just slides a charcuterie board between all of you before they just kind of fade <laughs> away into the background. Wow. That's <laughs> slick. Brandy. Brandy, of course. Do you have a preferred brandy? Whatever's the most expensive. Very well. Felix rolls her eyes a little bit and then reaches for a cracker. (laughs) (laughs) And I will sit next to Oliver specifically 
Oliver looks over. Oh. Long time no see. <laughs> it was our first swing of the uh, of the story. And it was Ross, not Heather. I know. <laughs> we were family once, Oliver. We are family in a way, I suppose. Um, he clutches his right arm. Is like, <laughs> please don't take it again. <laughs> What are you going to dare him to do this time? Oh, not uh, we're here to socialize. There's nothing that interesting I can dare him to do. Plus, we're not children. Gwen sips her wine and smirks. <laughs> you know? I somehow still feel you're going to find some way to get me into trouble. You always mm. manage to do it, and I don't know how. She's shockingly convincing. <laughs> so, do we imagine that all of the Knights of Summer will be here? I think so, which means we're only waiting on one more. It is like Cornelius to be late. Well, considering how far he had to come, that's not surprising. So how is everyone? I've, I've heard a lot about Felix and her shenanigans, but not so much that about the others. That was many years ago. Hmm. What, do you want to keep score out of all of us? No, just interested. Aren't we supposed to be chatting? <laughs> Yeah, it depends on what we're chatting about. I just sent my daughter off to uh, Paige. Ah, that's a fun time. My stepdaughter recently got married, which you know how that is. Well, congratulations. I do think we sent you a sent a gift. <laughs> a fruit basket. I'm sure. I just kind of wave. Probably wine. Mm, Probably wine. wine. Would keep better, <laughs> yeah, you just say definitely wine. Is it, you just sent a, a, car, a case of wine, you know? Yeah, a case. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Stock your cellars. We probably used. We probably ordered a bunch of wine for the wedding. The waiter returns, slides a brandy onto the uh, the table. Oh, perfect. A Meredith brandy, man. Wonderful. As you drink, you hear uh, of two noble gentlemen sitting off towards the side. An older man and a younger man. As the younger man looks out, watches another group of Taldane Phalanx soldiers march as they've uh, been on the streets. Of course, the. Uh, the military has basically been augmenting the city guard of Opara due to the sheer number of people here. The city guard must be so put out right now. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> the uh, the younger noble nods. I'd heard with everything going on in the Senate this evening that the uh, security throughout Opara has been uh, redoubled and redoubled again. Wow. The other man, the somewhat older man, nods. Yes, my uncle is in the lion's blades. He says that the Kadirans are planning to kidnap Princess Eutropia tonight to ransom her. So they must be present, of course, in force. <laughs> Welcome to our first combat being uh, foreshadowed by Rick, if that's what? true. What? I'm pretty Just... sure Eutropia can hold her own. Also, yeah, Eutropia is uh, <laughs> That also sounds no like, slouch. A like a terrible plan. Like, yeah, that... do it when everybody who's anybody is in the city. As a rule of thumb, not all of these rumors are true. I, I, I yeah. Yeah. It, yep. it may be difficult to tell which ones aren't. <laughs> Take them all with I, a grain of salt. Gwen hears this and rolls her eyes. That would be a stupid move. Well, I suppose people always want to blame something on someone, and the Kadirans make a fine scapegoat, I suppose. Hmm. As you consider this, a fifth and final carriage rolls up. A man steps down from this, kind of like awkwardly adjusts his clothing after bouncing around in the carriage for a little bit. I suppose glances up towards the, the front door. Uh, Jordan, what is uh, Cornelius in for this? So Cornelius is dressed similar to what he was before uh, with the white shirt, a uh, again, that kind of uh, lilac purple vest. But his uh, jacket has been upgraded and has uh, amethysts going and kind of along mm. the trim of the, uh, mm. the inside of the jacket. 
uh, where the buttons are, you know, little amethysts as well on the jacket. And uh, the jacket style is uh, has tails now. And uh, the bottom of the two tails is kind of like a little line of amethysts. It's like there's a theme with his colors. Hmm. There's 100 gold in bling right in that. Because <laughs> yeah. he wears his bling in his coat. Yep, it's all in the coat. You make your way up to the door. Again, the uh, the lady at the top of the steps opens the door for you, bids you to, to enter, good sir. The major d watches you as you enter, steps forward. Uh, you must be the last of Lady Lothied's party. Oh, am I? Yes, we are nearly ready. Would you like a drink while you wait? Yes, a white. Anything from the Lugosi vineyards, not too sweet. Yes, a, a dry Lugosi white, then. Mm. Yes. I thought all wine was wet. <laughs> no. <laughs> that shows what I know about wine. Depends on the grape. Of course, sir. I would be happy to. Please, right this way. I suppose you look up as you're uh, the last of the five of you returns. Again, uh, the five of you have not been in uh, the same place since you'd returned back to Upara for the prince's funeral some 20 years past. Uh, not really spoken with one another at length since your time together during the summer without rain some 25 years ago. I might have gone to, you know, all of Verity's weddings, but probably didn't actually talk to her there. I did invite <laughs> everyone to the weddings. <laughs> I at least went to the one my cousin was at. Yeah, the first one. That was, that was what, number one? I yep. only had three, okay. I know. I was just teasing about this. <laughs> I mean, that could be the rumor, though. That could be the rumor, yeah. It was probably me starting it just to mess with her. <laughs> but uh, Cornelius will uh, approach, I imagine, slightly blushing at seeing all of his old friends. Cornelius, old chap. Uh, good good evening, everyone. Um, Oliver, it's been too long. Have you, are you still long. practicing magic? <laughs> uh, I dabble these days, but yes. Um, ah, fantastic. How have you been? It looks like you've been studying quite a bit yourself. Oh, yes. My, my research takes me, um, is very intense and involved. I uh, have to say, I've not gotten out uh, quite as much as I might ought to. Mm. Well, these things are important as well, so sometimes it's understandable. Yes. Uh, Felix, Gwen, Verity. Verity is cold in the <laughs> face. Like, barely looks at you or acknowledges that you even exist. Gwen kind of nudges Verity, but doesn't say anything. Just real subtle. Like, what? <laughs> so, Gwen, I hear that you've taken up a lot of hobbies. Um. <laughs> Oliver shrugs, but says nothing. I have uh, taken up painting. Once uh, my son left to squire with Remillard, it's been quiet, to say the least, at the manor. Mm. Do you still sing? You used to sing so well. Not as often as I used to. Ah. Mm. Well, if you're up for it, perhaps you could regale us with the song at some point. It would be good to hear for one again. We'll see. Hmm. They're not quite as inspiring as they used to be, but I can leave the magic out of it. Hmm. Interesting. Felix, I've heard of uh, much of your work in uh, uh, public works. Uh, Fascinating. <laughs> I'm trying. Anyway, I've, uh, I had to take a break from it for a bit while uh, raising my daughter, but uh, I'm trying to get back into the swing of things, but it's been difficult since, well, my, my husband's family is, well, there's been issues. Mm. Ah, yes, um, as, as Cornelius internally realizes he should know you have a daughter and does not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, my, I, my daughter's only 10. Only? 
<laughs> In other words, you've had a daughter for a while now. You've had a daughter for a decade. <laughs> this isn't like we a new talked. development. She's still pretty young. I mean, I mean <laughs> Gwen's son is 17. So, mm. you know, if you didn't know about that one. Yeah, my youngest <laughs> stepkid is 18. I was going to say, I think that might be a little bit more salacious from a gossip perspective. Yeah. Verity would look at you and say, you know, we should chat. I have, you live in the in the Tandek um, province as well. And we might have aligned issues on a certain curious tax matter. I'll invite you for tea sometime. I'm going to lean over to, to, to Felix. She's like, watch out for your legs. That's how she gets them. <laughs> Don't worry. I know how to handle Verity. All, Oliver, the paranoid of injury. Shows to accept the dare, Oliver. I didn't push you. I mean, she Oliver does narrows his eyes and smirks. <laughs> In fact, you were very excited to prove how brave and strong you were. That's not my fault. Well, and to be fair, it was quickly remedied. It still hurts like all the hells. <laughs> I'll How take are your you with heights these days? I'm living on peak. I do all right. <laughs> <laughs> also why he's scared of falling. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's Pegasus peak. We have Pegasus. I refuse to ride them. <laughs> Feet on the ground. But that's because oh, of the horse, God. I think. <laughs> that's true. Uh, the, yeah. Oh, geez. Don't get me started about the horse. They're a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> As you chat, the uh, the Mater D seems to almost materialize next to you again. Just like this thin man just slides over uh, at the the head of the table. There, your party is ready. If you will please accompany me, lead the way. Pull ourselves out of these super plush chairs. Take our yeah, drinks takes with a us. Moment. Yes. Yeah, it takes a couple of moments. You struggle with that. Get up. <laughs> the man leads you to the stairs. You ascend to the second floor. Circle around. Ascend to the third. He leads you down a short hallway here. Again, it seems like each one of the, uh, you don't see any like labels or anything for the door. So obviously the wait staff know exactly where they're going. And judging by the few doors that you see open, you're going to guess each one of these as you pass by the yellow room, the red room, and the green room. Each one of them seems to be color themed before they lead mm. you down to the end of the hallway. The man opens the door as each of you cue your way in. As you step past, he clears his throat. Baroness Verti Corsina. Baron Cornelius Merosat, Viscountess Gwynhafar Kastner, Countess Felix Zespire, Count Oliver Darhan. As you each step in, not getting the full giant name mm. that eventually uh, you I'd imagine your, more your pages They could do the did. entire giant name. We didn't tell them our names. They just figured it out. So They have a guest list. Yeah, I'm sure they oh, have. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were invited. I thought it was in the order we were entering in for a second there. Well, yeah. it is in the order that you're entering in, but you're going to guess that they get the very least recognized and, and each of you are wearing their signet ring. So mm -hmm. if he's an extraordinarily oh, true, 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 man, yeah. I like that Cordelius grabs onto him and says, how did you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> what gave it away? Was it all the gems? <laughs> Your ring, sir. <laughs> you have that Meroset look, sir. You <laughs> 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 must be a Meroset. <laughs> to be fair, that is that is the uh, the, <laughs> the family resemblance is quite yep. strong in my family. I wonder yeah. why. As you step into the chamber, it is a... A large room, the hardwood floor is covered in a large blue and silver rug. Blue draperies cover the two windows, although both of these draperies have been pulled back to let you see out into the city beyond, where you can see all the banners of blue and green. The table that sits in the center of this room is large enough to comfortably sit six around the spacious circular table, covered in a blue tablecloth. 
and white and blue cups have been arranged here, as well as a large assortment of different cheeses, breads, and various fig jams arranged in the center of the table. Off to the side is a fireplace, and above that is a beautiful depiction of the city of Opara seen from the ocean, with boats sailing in the foreground and the massive bridge spanning across the length of the Aporthmos River. A woman stands from where she was sitting at the table, of which all of you can recognize with little effort as Martella. Martella has dark brown skin, piercing eyes, and the thick, wavy auburn hair of the Lothedes. She wears a elegant but reserved gown of green and white. Reserved at least by Taldane standards. It's still fairly opulent. Mm-hmm. As you enter, you can hear a soft buzzing sound from a hand-sized brass cricket that sits in the center of the table. Cool. And continues its soft chirping sound from some sort of mechanical clockwork device (laughs) as it echoes through the room. The woman smiles as all of you enter, nods towards the maitre d', who discreetly, once he introduces all of you, slides back out through the door, shutting the door with nary a sound as he disappears into the background. He seems almost ghost-like, like he just sort of disappears, <laughs> yeah. like sliding of a good yeah. uh, wait staff. Martella smiles. I'm so pleased all of you could join me this evening. How Are we ready to you? save Taldor? <laughs> save Taldor? Sign me up. That seems a little grandiose, don't you think? When I am involved, it's always a grandiose adventure. <laughs> and an adventure we'll pick up oh. next time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Woo! First oh, right. step right Episode. into it. We did it. Oh man! <laughs> Stepping right in. I Good didn't expect go. the the intense like dynamic of Oliver with <laughs> having his arm broken. His <laughs> trauma remembers. was right on his sleeve. Man, he remembers. <laughs> the wall remembers. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us for this first episode. Of course, uh, join us again as we continued in episodes uh, two and three, which should be immediately available to you in the continued adventures after that. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, of course, uh, feel free to check out our Hell's Rebels playthrough, uh, as well as our Patreon, where we are playing through the Tyrant's Grasp Adventure Path. If that little teaser at the top about uh, the Taldane uh, armies defeating Tarbethon got you intrigued. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. That is sure. anyway. extra little stories uh, under our Patreon, we also have uh, share memory stories about our various characters. That yeah. is true. So uh, check back with us next time, Pathfinders. Good luck Good out luck. there, folks. Bye, Pathok. Bye, Pathok. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. War for the Crown is copyright 2018. War for the Crown and the Pathfinder Venture Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.